Welcome to the First Baptist Church Keller Sermon Podcast. Each week we make available sermons from Pastor Keith and our staff on our website, fbckeller.org. And on iTunes, search for First Baptist Church Keller TX in the iTunes Store or in the podcast app on your mobile device. And now with a revival message, Mr. John Moore. How many of you remember your childhood? How many remember staying away too long when you were a child and one of your parents stepped to the front door, called your name, time to come home? I don't know who it was in your family. In our family, it was our mother. We always knew when mother was serious, she used the entire name. John Michael Moore, and boy, when I heard my mother use that tone of voice, and I especially knew when she used the entire name that if I valued my fellowship with my mother, it was time to go home. It wasn't time to pass gold. It wasn't time to collect $200. It was time to go directly home. And all the people said, Well, what shouldn't surprise us, amazingly it does, but what shouldn't surprise us is this, that our Heavenly Father has ways to call His children. Is this on? I said our Heavenly Father has ways to call His children. In 2 Chronicles chapter 7, this is probably the classic passage when it comes to the subject of revival. I want you to open your Bible there, and when you have it ready, let's all stand as I read a couple of verses out loud, and you follow along silently. 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 13. This is the Lord's word that he spoke to the king Solomon after he'd completed building the temple. And when Solomon said, Lord, guide your people wherever we go, and when we stray from you, Lord, may we come back to this place and be with you. And here's how the Lord responded to Solomon in verse 13. If I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or if I command the locust to devour the land, or if I send pestilence among my people, And my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven, will forgive their sin, and will heal their land. Let's pray. Father, tonight we pray and ask in the name of Jesus that you give us ears to hear tonight. You as you call to us, in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Tonight I'm going to ask you to do one thing. I want you to listen, not with the ears on the side of your head, but I want you to listen with the ear of your heart and see if heaven is not calling you, if, not, if heaven is not calling us as the people of God in this very hour. 
Notice, first of all, he says he has three primary ways to get the attention of his people. Are you listening to me? Three primary ways he has of getting the attention of his people. You say, well, wait a minute, Brother John, isn't this an Old Testament passage of Scripture? Well, it's an Old Testament passage of Scripture in the Bible. Hello? In the Bible. It's still God's Word. It's still active today. God still has three primary ways He gets the attention of His people. Number one, by drought. He said, if I, command the, if, if I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, by drought. And sometimes, yes, the Lord used, uses literal physical drought. Some of you are Texans. And if you were a Texan back in the 1950s, you may remember that there were seven years in a row of drought. Now, I grew up in a farming community. Cotton was king. In the 1950s, there was cotton as far as you could see. And if the economy of your city or, or town or village where you live was dependent on uh, agriculture, you needed rain. And when it didn't rain, it tended to get your attention. And I still remember as a teenager back in the 50s and seeing those farmers in the, in the, in the church where I was raised. And I remember how even before the service began, they would drift forward, those old men. Now, let me tell you something, folks. I'm not suggesting that farming is easy today or even that I'm suggesting that it's hard. But what I'm saying to you in the 1950s, it was a hard life. And those men, those grizzled men who worked out all day in the sun and they worked hard. And when the rain would stop and, and they would come to church, they would come forward. And we didn't have carpeting all over the floor in those days. Had a little strip of carpet that ran down the middle aisle, but it was all hardwood. And I remember as those men came to the altar and they began to kneel around the steps in the altar and they began to pray and they began to weep and cry out to heaven. And I remember the impression that it made on my heart as a teenager as I would come by after the service and I would see those wooden steps, those hardwood steps, stained with the tears of their men as they cried out to heaven and said, Oh God, forgive us. We come back to you now. Hear our prayer. God still uses literal, physical drought to get the attention of his people. But that's not the only way the verse can be understood. Listen to what the prophet Hosea said as he was led by the Lord in Hosea chapter 6, verse 3. Then shall we know the Lord if we follow on to know him, that he, that is the Lord, shall come unto us as the rain, as the latter and former rain unto earth. And folks, historically, it is a matter of fact that those great awakenings, those great mighty works of God throughout history are forever known as times of spiritual refreshing, spiritual reigns. You may or may not know, it's amazing to me, one of the amazements to me in the traveling ministry is how unaware God's people are of Christian history. 
Many people are not aware of the fact that in the history of the United States of America, there have been four great spiritual awakenings, four great nationwide. I'm not just talking a little outbreak here or there. I'm talking about revival, great movings of God that touch this nation from coast to coast, from border to border, north to south, east to west. The first happened in the late great, uh, late 19, uh, pardon me, the great 1730s. Late, I'll get it out in a minute, the late 1730s. It's known by historians as the Great Awakening. The second great nationwide moving of God came to America in the late 18, uh, 1790s. Uh, it's uh, known simply as the Second Great Awakening. The third nationwide revival we had in this country took place in the late 1850s. Sometimes it's referred to as the prayer revival. Other times it's known as the layman's revival. It has that name because there were no preachers central to that great moving of God. But guess where it began? New York City. Reminds me of the salsa commercial. <laughs> New York City? A revival? That's right. A lay preacher by the name of Jeremiah Lamphere began to post notices around Manhattan Island about a prayer meeting for businessmen to come and give up their lunch hour and do nothing but pray for revival. First week, only six men showed up. Second week, there were 13. The third, there were 23. And the next week, they decided to have it every working day. Before long, the entire church at Fulton Street Church was filled with men giving up their lunch hour to pray for revival. It spread all over the city, and every major church in New York City was filled with men giving up their lunch hour to come and pray for revival. That was in the fall of uh, 1790, or pardon me, 1859. Uh, and uh, by the spring of 1860, every new, uh, as I said, every church was filled. They began to have meetings, and people started getting saved. Now listen to this, at the rate of 10,000 a week in New York City alone. That great revival spread up and down the eastern coast. Then it began to move forward and move west until it had embraced our entire country. The next great nationwide revival began in 1905. It was actually an overflow of the great Welch revival of 1904. And uh, that revival, by the way, uh, was uh, J. Edwin Orr wrote about in his book on revival. And before it got through spreading around the world, and it spread to America, it spread to England, it spread to Scotland, it spread to Ireland, it spread to Africa, to, to Europe, all over the world. And before it was over, over 5 million people professed faith in Jesus Christ. A global revival. If you were paying attention to those dates, even as I was stumbling over them, between the first Great Awakening and the second Great Awakening, there was approximately 60 years. Between the second Great Awakening and the prayer revival of the, great 18, of the late 1850s was approximately 60 years. 
Between that revival and the revival of 1905 was between 45 and 50 years. But listen to me. That was the last great nationwide revival we've had in America. And that's been well over 100 years ago. Do you know what we have the dubious distinction of tonight? You and I live in a generation in America where it has been longer than any other time in the history of this country since we've had a nationwide revival. You could, see, you could say we're living in a drought. The Lord has sealed up the heavens. And what I'm challenging you to do tonight is listen. Get out of this world and pay attention to the world to come. Understand what is going on eternally. God has sent a drought. He's calling to us as His children. My sons, my daughters, turn and come back to me. But that's not the only way He has to speak to us. He said not only can He use drought, He can use destruction. He says it this way, If I command the locust to, to devour the land, in the day in which this was written, the locusts were so numerous. Now listen to this. Locusts were so numerous when they all took to flight at the same time, there were so many locusts, it would blot out the light of the sun. Can you imagine that many grasshoppers? Can, imagine, can you imagine what it would do to the vegetation, to the crops? to the flowers, to the plants. They would march like an army through the country, eating everything. And by the time they would leave a region, it would look like a battlefield. There would be total and utter destruction. That's the, the, the terminology God uses to describe what He's doing here. He said, I want to get the attention of my people. I will send destruction upon them. Now what's happening today? What's going on around us? First, first of all, there's physical destruction. Where were you on 9-11? I know where I was. I was preaching a revival meeting in Jacksonville, Florida. I got up that morning, had my devotional time, had some breakfast, Turned on the TV to watch uh, the news. Yeah. To watch the news. Just in time to see that first plane fly into the World Trade Center. I thought for just a moment I was watching a science fiction movie, but it became readily apparent right away it was not a movie, it was reality. And as I sat there fascinated and horrified, Eventually, I saw that second plane come into the second tower. And then we've been followed up now by time after time of things happening. The Boston Marathon, San Bernardino, California, Orlando, Florida, the police shootings in, right here in Dallas, Texas, 
racial unrest, the shootings at the Las Vegas uh, musical event, New York City, over and over again, we're being physically attacked, we're being physically destroyed, and nobody seems to put the two together. And not only are there physical attacks, they're moral attacks. Disregard for human life. Murder has become wholesale. Human slave trade. Do you understand what's going on even right here in the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex as people kidnap our children off the playgrounds and take them and sell them over the internet to people who use them sexually and otherwise and they're forever a lifetime of slavery that's going on here right in the midst of us sexual perversion the opioid crisis people innocently enough going to doctors and having problems and pain and being prescribed mass amounts of opioids and getting hooked and they can't get off. These are not bad people. They, many of them are, were just innocently hooked on the opioids. And what about the pornography? As it's become a, 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 a national disgrace, a national vice, a national infection. As men and women both are attracted to the, to the pornographic material so readily available on the internet. Sexual perversion over and over again. We're being attacked not only physically, but morally. And we're being attacked spiritually. Paul warned us, but apparently we haven't paid attention. He said, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the world rulers of this darkness, against spiritual wickedness in the heavenlies. And the demon forces are at work in this generation as in no other here in the United States of America. When Israel moved into the promised land, you remember what happened at Jericho. God said, I've chosen that to be a dedication totally to me. Every bit of plunder that's to be taken is to be brought into my house. But we all remember what a man by the name of Achan did. He took a wedge of Babylonian gold. He took a goodliest Babylonian garment. He buried it in his tent. And nobody knew but Achan and the Lord. God knew the next city to be plundered was Ai, a little small place. Didn't even need all of the army of Israel to go to Ai. Just sent a few thousand. They were roundly defeated. Some were killed. All because of the sin of Achan. And it is to Joshua's everlasting credit that he didn't call a committee meeting. He didn't appoint a committee to study the matter and come up with options. But immediately, what did he do? He fell on his face before God. And there's another sermon. We've forgotten how to fall on our face. I said, we've forgotten how to fall on our face. 
We're too big for that. We're too cool for that. We're beyond that to humble ourselves in such a way. Proud us. Look what it has earned us. And Joshua fell on his face before God. And he said, Lord, what's wrong? This never could have happened. It never would have happened unless there were sin in the camp. And God showed him who it was and they dealt with it. And he restored his peace and his grace among his people. Folks, what I'm begging you to do tonight is to listen. Not with these ears on the side of your head, but with your heart. Listen. Listen to the God of our salvation calling to us. My children, my sons, my daughters, turn from the way you're headed. You're headed for disaster. Come back to me. But the Lord said, that's not the only way I have, not just drought and destruction. I have another way that I can call to my people. Disease. If I send pestilence, verse 13, among my people. Pestilence. Communicable disease. And certainly God can use physical disease to get our attention. But that's not the only way this verse can be understood. What about the disease of disbelieving? Did you know that 80%, nearly 80% of our churches right now, this very day, are either plateaued or in decline? 80%. What's brought it about? Well, Phyllis, what that man's name that runs the... Yeah, thank you. It's always good to have a wife next to you when you're preaching. I said, it's always good to have a wife next to you when you're preaching. Barna does research, religious research. About once every 10 years, he runs a poll on the phone. And the last one he, that I know about that he ran that was nationwide, he... Uh, he interviewed a thousand people and he had this criteria. Now, number one, they had to say that uh, they were, uh, they had made a, a, a personal commitment to Jesus Christ. They had confessed their sins to him and believed that they were forgiven and were confident that they would go to heaven. Now, does that mean every one of them were saved? Of course not. But it's, least, it's, it's a criteria that he had for the interview. Now listen to the response to this interview. This was all the way back in 2009. And that's, what, 10 years ago. So it's about time for him to run another survey. But in any case, here are the results of the survey he ran in 2009. Out of those 1,000 people, only 79% believe that the Bible is ac totally accurate. 
You know what that means, folks? It means uh, of two, 210 people out of 1,000 people interviewed who claimed to be Christians believed there were errors in the Bible. And here's one that really gets me. I can't get over this one. Only 62% believe Jesus lived a sinless life. That's 380 people out of 1,000 interviewed believe that Jesus sinned while on this earth. Folks, if that were true, you and I would still be lost and hellbound because if he had sinned one time, his death would have been in payment for his own sin. He couldn't have died for us. Only 46% of those interviewed believed in absolute truth. It just depends. Depends on the situation. Only 40%, I get this one, only 40% believe that Satan is a real being. 600 of the, of the 1,000 interviewed felt that uh, Satan was just a mythical figure which probably goes a pretty long way in explaining why he's having such a field day in so many homes and churches. I don't go to very many Southern Baptist conventions. Don't, don't get me wrong, I'm not a, a, an againer. I just, I got tired. The last one I attended was in Las Vegas, Nevada. Now, even when I attended the Southern Baptist Convention, I didn't stay for the convention. I only went for the pastor's conference for the preaching and singing, and then I'd come home. So anyway, I'm at this convention, uh, Southern Baptist Convention, and I'm at the pastor's conference, and lo and behold, one of the speakers is Josh McDowell. Now, some of you will recognize that name. He's written many books. He's devoted his life to ministry to young people. Probably the, most, uh, the, the book that most of you would be familiar with is Evidence That Demands a Verdict, Josh McDowell. Well, he, he does a lot of uh, interviews and, and uh, does uh, uh, research with young people. And he gave them uh, the opportunity to say, you know, what they really believe. And, and it's anonymous. They don't have to put their name to it. So you can pretty well be assured that they're being honest and uh, what he discovered was this. It was, it, I almost fell out of my chair when he said it. He said the majority of the youth that attend our churches, you got that? Not gangbangers, not dopeheads. We're talking about the majority of the young people who attend our churches Believe in pluralism. You know what pluralism is? We all go to the same place. You believe in Confucius. You believe in Muhammad. You know, whatever you believe. It's all the same God, just different names. We're all going to the same place. And these young people have been so inundated in the music of the day, in the movies of the day, in the writings of the day, in what they're, what they're forced to hear when they're in schools, even in public schools, they bought in. 
the majority of young people who attend our churches believe this junk. We have the disease of disbelieving the Word of God. And anytime you have the disease of disbelieving, it's just a matter of time until you have the disease of misbehaving. I said, anytime you have the disease of disbelieving, it's just a matter of time before you're inflicted with the disease of misbehaving. And so what do we now have in our churches? Divisiveness, contentiousness, immorality, divorce. You know the divorce rate is higher in church people than it is in unchurched people? Lethargy. Let somebody else do it. I've served my time. Somebody else can do it. Listen. Do you hear it? Do you hear the voice of the Lord saying, my children, you're headed for even worse disaster. I pray there's still time. Turn and come back to me. In 1967, Phyllis and I and our two children, our two, our two young children at the time, moved to Corsicana, Texas, where I purchased a pharmacy. At the time, I was a pharmacist. We decided that if we were going to be business owners, it was time to take the plunge and buy a home. For the first nine years of our marriage, we had rented, but we felt it was time to make the change. And this was no small decision, by the way, because we were taking on a $200 a month house payment. <laughs> Wouldn't you love a $200 a month house payment? But it was a big one to us in 1967. And I remember her parents, who at that time owned a furniture and appliance store in Stephenville, Texas, gave us a housewarming gift, a brand new clothes dryer. With a family of four, that was a great housewarming gift. And it had a brand new device on it, something new in 1967, a buzzer. And when the clothes were dry, the buzzer would go off. And by the way, incidentally, just for your information, it was not just a buzzer. It was a buzzer. You could hear that sucker all over the house. And, and every time the buzzer went off, the same thing happened. Our children said, Mama, the clothes are ready. And I said, Sweetheart, the clothes are ready. But do you know the most interesting phenomenon took place in our household over the next few weeks? 
I can see you ladies, You're, you already know what's coming. Don't punch your husband in the ribs too hard. We don't want anybody injured tonight. But did you know it got to the place in just a few weeks that no one in that house heard that buzzer but my wife? Now, it wasn't that we were mean. Wasn't that the rest of the house was in deep sin. There were no cell phones back then, and our daughter had just discovered the phone. And she was much too busy talking to her friends than to listen for that buzzer. And our son was just old enough, we were letting him outside to play with the neighborhood children, and he was too busy playing with his buddies to listen for that buzzer. And I really don't like the way you're looking at me. <laughs> I was busy. I was watching Walter Cronkite. I had to decide whether we are going to invade Russia or not. I, I couldn't listen for that buzzer. And the rest of us didn't hear the buzzer for this reason. We had developed other interests. We had developed other interests. Contrary to what you might have heard, God isn't dead. In fact, as far as I know, He's not even running a temperature. He's still faithful to sound the alarm. He's still faithful to call to His people. It's not that He's not speaking. It's not that He's not calling. Far too many of God's people have simply developed other interests. We've been, become so embroiled in this life, we've lost interest. We've lost focus on the one that's to come. But thank God, things are growing so serious in the country that a few people are saying, wait a minute, wait a minute. And they're both literally and spiritually getting on their knees. And they're getting back into the Word of God. And they're beginning to hear from God. And some are even beginning to heed what God is saying. This is my last night with you as your speaker, as your preacher. There's nothing more that I can say. I've sought the Lord. The best I know in my heart and my mind. I've told you exactly what the Lord told me to tell you. I think God has been at work in this service. He'll never convince me that God hasn't moved. 
and God hasn't spoken. It's not because of me or Scott or the staff or the choir or the orchestra. It's the Lord. He'll never convince me He hasn't spoken this week. And I don't know about you. Only you know about you. I don't know whether you've heard. But I'm not sure you've heeded. Have I listened to what God has said to me? Not what He said to someone else. But have I listened to what God has said to me? And have I obeyed Him in all that He's put in my heart to do? Thank you again for listening to our broadcast. To learn more about First Baptist Church in Keller, Texas, or to hear more sermons by Pastor Keith and our staff, visit us online at fbckeller.org.